0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. All right, guys. Welcome back to Bronx Pinstripe Show. Very excited to bring on the show, Mr. Sweeney, Murdy. Uh Sweeney. We've we've uh, we've had you on the show before. It's been a little bit, so glad you're glad you're back. I hope all is well. But um, if you guys are not familiar with Sweeney and you've been living under a rock, which I know all of you haven't, uh, he's been he's been covering the team for WFN for for practically my entire life. So uh, Sweeney, welcome here, man. I really do appreciate you being here. And if you guys want to follow him on Twitter. He's at Yankees W F A N.
2: Welcome back. Thanks. For yeah, having- thanks for having me, Scott. Appreciate it. So obviously,
1: we have ourselves a ball team now. We have, we have a we have a club that's been a lot of fun to watch so far this year. I, I know it's only. May 12th, uh, today as we record, but you know, just a feeling inside uh, as a fan watching this team, it's, it's very different. It gives me a, a lot of hope going into every game. Um, I think over the past few years, the, the makeup of this team has, has given me, uh, you know, something to still be desired. And I think Cashman actually did hit on a lot of those elements. Um, but would love to hear your take just on, on early success for this team and, and, and what's your, what's your think that is, uh, you know, we're attributing to that success.
2: I mean, this is what happens when everything goes right, you know, for the first 30 games. know, so they haven't had major injuries to deal with their starting pitching is, is held up and been good. They haven't had games where somebody gets knocked out. You know, they had one where Garrett Cole got knocked out in the second inning. Otherwise, you know, um, it's been pretty much by, to design with their pitching. And even when they only got in the early going three or four innings from some of their starters, that wasn't a bad thing because they had the pitching to cover it. They have the bullpen depth to cover it. In fact, most games, if the starter gives them only four or five innings, that's fine because they have the bullpen coverage to get through that. Uh, some have been surprises and now that they have a, a the roster has been cut down a little bit, a little less room for error like that but they pitched fantastic. They've gotten bounce back years from the guys that they had hoped uh, expected to uh, guys like, you know, DJ LeMay, he was healthy again. Uh, Gleber Torres is hitting again. Uh, you know, overall numbers aren't great, you know, but he's produced in some big spots. And I think when you talk about the feel Scott, I think the thing that happened, you know, look at just in the last week where the Yankees had a bunch of games where they only you know, they were no hit through five innings a couple of times. Um, they only had like three, four, five hits in several of these games. A year ago, they probably go 0-4, 0-5 in those games. This year, they're hanging in because, as we talked about, pitching, health, all that stuff. Um, and they've gotten some big hits to, late in the game. Now, these are also games they played at home, so it helps when you get last at bat, right? That's that's really home field advantage. So play those games on the road. Maybe it plays out differently. The way you use your bullpen is a little bit different, um, and you don't get that last swing. So... You know, timing, good luck, good fortune, good luck. You know, when you go 22 and eight, a lot of things have to go your way, not just play great. And I think that's what you're seeing right now.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that obviously in baseball, luck is a big part of this or timing is a big part of this. And just putting all the things together, uh, you know, luck in timing, I should say, you're, you're yeah. preparing to get to a particular point. But even when they were in Toronto, you know, they they a lot of those games, you see them last year, year before that, they're losing those games. They're not they're not fighting back in, those, in these games and they're winning, you know, even on the road with that with that winning streak. Um, but just like speaking to the makeup of this and the Cashman moves, you know something that that we've been pining for for a while now is just like let's just change up the what the lineup looks like. Can we get a little bit of a different feel, you know, one through nine and and more balance in this lineup? And I'm not necessarily sa- talking about lefty righty balance, but just approach balance. And it, it definitely seemed as if Cashman in in unorthodox ways, which, you know, he's been known to do in the past. Give him credit for that. Um, He's really addressed it. And, you know, one of the metrics that we can talk about here uh, from this team early on is that they are home run dependent. But my eye test didn't say that to me. Right. Like when we're watching these games, I'm not feeling that. So just curious, uh, like the makeup of it, if you could speak to that and and what your thoughts are um, from being this close to the team.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it actually, you know, when you, I think Brian Cashman is ignorant to the uh, thoughts, desires, and basic ideas of what a lineup, uh, you know, could and should look like. It's just that you're not always able to replace every part at once and have an you know, unlimited pool of players to pick from, you know, like, so when he ends up very right-handed for a couple of years, it's because of, you know, just where those positions popped up and what options became available. And he ended up choosing good players, regardless of um, some other factors, like what side of the plate they had from, as opposed, you know, uh, as opposed to getting a lesser player because he fit a certain ideal. So, and when you do that, you end up with, uh, a lineup and a roster sometimes looks imperfect, and then injuries get in the way, underperformance gets in the way. Uh, and then you know the it salary snowballs. structure. Yeah, the salary structure gets in the way. A lot of you're right, it's a snowball effect. So it's not like um just tearing it all down and starting over again. You kind of have to work with what you've got. So, and some of the pieces don't fit very well, you know. Joey Gallo still doesn't fit very well. And I I think that's something, you know, the catchers still have not hit really at all. Um, None of these things are holding the Yankees back. So this is why, like, Joey Gallo and the catchers hitting under 200 with zero power, that would be a problem if the Yankees were 13 and 17, let's say, and had fallen seven games off the pace. When you're winning in spite of that, those things aren't problems yet. You know, and there, and it buys you time to address the solutions. And think about it: when you're falling behind, there's a tendency to want to fix everything right now. When even if that were the case, you can't fix everything right now. You kind of gotta let let it play out and see what your options are as you go on. So, what the couple of, the couple of things that we're talking about, they will have to address. At some point but they have the ability because they've played well in so many areas that they're able to kind of uh you know uh let that play out a little bit longer i think that was always even last year last year the idea was the yankees probably had an idea that they were going to have to address pitching but that they had time to do that because their offense was going to carry them to a lot of wins well offense did not carry them to a lot of wins Early in the season, middle of the season, they were still struggling. So while they were not immune to the idea, the thought that they needed to address something, one of the things they were counting on went wrong. So you're kind of working on the fly. And this year, everything's going right for them. And and I think the idea is also that their, their pitching is as good as they thought it was and better than we thought it was because I think when you look at the idea of, you know, who was in the rotation and trying to get repeat years from guys out of the bullpen, that was probably an an area where most of us thought that they had fallen short and they were pretty confident in the depth that they had and the talent that they had that given other names that might've been available, they were just that they were names and the performance from the guys that they had in house, they felt very comfortable and confident in. And, um, you know, I think that's an area where we probably overlooked compared to what they thought. So,
1: yeah, the, the pitching is an interesting piece of this too, and obviously, I, I think that more to um, you know the lineup over the years definitely has gotten into gotten into a situation where it, it did snowball. I think that other factors, like for instance, Glaber Torres, not working out as the shortstop of the future. That yeah. was a big move. That was something that, that the Yankees looked at and said, okay, we're making future moves based on him being in this position. And right. when, when that became a, a non-reality, a lot of things had to change.
2: And, and can I get back to you? I, I ignored one of the other points in the last question about, um, you know, just you don't look at this team as being home run reliant right. when in fact they are because that's what plays. Uh, I had a conversation with DJ LeMahieu about two weeks ago and just, the, just about the idea of how much harder hitting has gotten, how different it is in the decade he's been in the big leagues. And when it came up, it was about, okay, drive this starter out of the ball game because, you know by the fifth inning because then you're going to be able to get to work on the middle of the team's bullpen. Well, those aren't soft spots anymore. No. You know, now, if you're going to do any sort of damage uh, to a team based off of getting to their bullpen, you have to knock out the starter in the first or second inning, which isn't as easy to do. You know, you can you can look at an approach that a team has, and and kind of if you know you used to be able to say get this guy out after four innings and you're in a good spot. Well, you know the Yankees are a good example, and many other teams are getting a starter out after four innings isn't necessarily a bad thing because they have teams have the depth to cover it um, and the extra arm in the bullpen and all that with the 26 you know, man roster versus 25, but the power still plays is the way DJ was was talking to me about it. He knows it. And as a guy who doesn't rely on power but has power, he knows how important it is. Even just look at, you know, the idea the idea of stringing hits together. You no, know, I asked I got this thing on Twitter yesterday how, you know, the Yankees need to string hits together. I said they got a single, a single and a home run in consecutive order. That's stringing hits together. Yes, it is. You could get three straight singles and score zero runs. Um, you know, so it is. The power is still a very big part of this. It's going to separate. And really, it's from both sides because. Through these first 30 games, the Yankees have hit 40 home runs. They've only allowed 20 home runs. If you're going to take that, if you're going to have that two to one ratio all year long, you're going to be a very successful team. You're going to have to drive in runs. You do it in bunches, it helps. You're very rarely going to have the inning where you're going to draw all kinds of walks and singles and doubles and send eight men to the plate to score three runs. It's going to have to be done differently. It's, you know, you kind of have to unlearn what you learn. And if you think about, you know, the overall major league batting average, I was just thinking this up yesterday. If you go back to, you know, like the dynasty era Yankees and think about what they did, the major league batting average in 1999 was 271. Right now it's about 40 points less than that. Um, So to expect the team to score runs and build rallies and do things the way that they did 20 years ago isn't very realistic because the game isn't showing you that right now. Um, So they're, they're built to slug and they always were. It's just that right now they're healthy. They are getting some big hits in other spots and they're able to do some things on the base paths where, you know, without Voight and Sanchez, in addition to Stanton and judge and everybody else, you're able to move some guys around. And as I said, some of these other flaws, like, you know, the catching, offense at this point or Joey Gallo's production at this point, they aren't dragging you down because so many things are working in your favor, as opposed to when you're losing games and you're looking at every aspect that's failing and saying it has to improve.
1: You know, there are a couple of points to that. I think Gallo uh, was opportunistic and honestly, the the way that they were able to get him and the fact that they, 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 they needed a left fielder. Um, he, you're right. He doesn't fit this team. The, the approach of Joey Gallo to me is like, it's just a, it's, it's, not, it's not conducive to winning ball ballgames uh, uh, on a consistent basis in the New York Yankees. And frankly, he's, he has, has struggled a little bit, I'd say, early in the season defensively, which you need him to be a rock yeah. in left field, and he just hasn't. So the prioritization of the Yankees' defense up the middle uh, had, was, is very clear. IKF obviously won the Gold Glove at third base, um, good, good defensive player at, at short. You have Glaber going over to the more comfortable position uh, at second base and probably the better defensive position for him as well. And then, you know, with Hicks back uh, up the middle and even Judge playing center field, like your defense is up the middle. But then the catcher position is different. That's the spot. I would say that even if the catcher is not hitting for the entire year, I'm fine with that. That's okay because this team is built for them to play defense. When you look at their defensive metrics and how they're receiving the pitchers and what the pitchers are doing, they are doing their job in spades. And if they're not producing on the offense, all good. We got eight guys who can do that just fine. You play defense. You you frame the way they want you to frame, and you call a good game. I'm happy as a, as a kid in a candy store all year long with that catching situation.
2: I'll tell you what's what stood out to me this morning looking at some of the defensive numbers were that their outfield defense is measured um, negative in all three positions right now, and I think part of it is the way they're moving guys around. Part of it, so you're talking about with Gallows underperforming, but playing Judge in center instead of more, instead of right playing Stanton and Wright um, and, and, you know, Hicks just getting kind of back into this and probably, you know, a little bit older, it isn't measuring as well defensively as he used to, you know, the, I I think, and and the move is probably, you're right. The move is going to be ended up, is going to have to end up being doing something with Gallo because you're not doing anything with Hicks. You're not doing anything with Judge. You're not doing anything with Stanton. Um, You're going to have to either get major improvement there from that player or figure something else out. Um, and and you have time to do that. That's what twenty two and eight, you know, buys you time to do these things. I think you know, I think it's really important to think about when we're thinking about you know, uh, somebody asked me, "Is this team uh, can this team win a World Series?" I'm like, well, I don't know. The World Series doesn't start tomorrow, um, and there's no good reason to try to. You know, so many things can happen. You know how many people can get hurt in the next five months? How many people can come out of nowhere and surprise or or flop in the next five months? Um, that's what, you know, you kind of have to wait to play through. Um, but I was surprised at the, just the, the way the numbers look at their outfield defense, because that used to be the stronger part of their defense and now it's the weaker part of their defense. And I think it's something that they're going to have to kind of wait to see how, if, how it normalizes and how, what they can do to address it.
1: Caveat. Also, I'd say that defensive metrics, especially with sh- small sample size and yeah. a year, are probably the flimsiest of 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 the sure. of the analytics uh, there. So I, you know, larger sample size. You're right. Moving GIs around. I mean, Hicks has been playing a lot of left field, which he hasn't looked completely comfortable over there. Um, I think that we'll, we'll see them because I, th- for me with that, like even with Gala, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the career. I'm looking at what these guys do. I know they're good defenders. I know yeah. that's an athletic, good defense, true. and that those numbers will probably be true and, and, and normalize.
2: Yeah. yeah. Very good point. So, I mean, you know, but they prioritize the defense and, you know, the infield defense was atrocious the last few years. Yes. And you're right. Part of that was, you know, uh, Glaber not really taking the shortstop the way that the Yankees had hoped and, you know, you kind of had to give that some runway to see if it was going to improve because you knew the kind of talent that Gleyber Torres was and what you were committing to him, especially in years when you weren't paying him a whole lot. Now, as the, you know, as he moves through the salary structure, you you know, it's, it's, really, listen, it's the difference team. And, and it's not just unique to the Yankees when you have players in zero to three service time years, when they're making league minimums before they head into arbitration years you know, you're going to allow yourself a little more room right there. And then when they start making bigger dollars, you have to start making decisions about where pieces fit. And that's kind of where the Yankees found themselves. Um, and they, you know, and, and Miguel, what's available in the open market too. So they may, and they made some decisions that were head scratchers with, you know, the way that they, the way they ended up getting Isaiah Connor-Falefa was having to add Josh Donaldson. Right. And, um, you know, in fact, he and LeMahieu at third base are, again, to use your example with the caveat of small sample size, they are phenomenally uh, highly ranked defensively right now, um, the best of any spot on the field for the Yankees. And uh, and that's a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, we uh, we had um, uh, Gio Urshela used to pass the eye test, but he didn't pass the metric test.
1: Right.
2: Now a lot of things are lining up where you're seeing it both the eye test and metrically on the infield defense, it's all lining up well. You're, you know, there on Wednesday, I, Isaiah kind of left out a couple of little muffs similar to the first week of the season that he had. But otherwise, he's been really solid, helping turn the ground balls into outs. You know, the Yankees are, you know, you've seen some double play balls get turned where the Yankees a few years ago were dead last in the majors and turning double plays. And, um, and I think you're seeing a lot of positive signs. As I said, there's... There's not a lot to complain about when you win 22 out of (laughs) 30, but the things that you can complain about, you have time to address because you won 22 out of 30.
1: Yeah, agreed. You know, you mentioned Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and first of all, I love the guy so far. I mean,
2: he's he's a he's a breath of fresh
1: air. He's the you know the Hawaiian hustle. All of it is just great. I eat it up. I eat it up. You know, I think when I'm looking at the the base hits and I see DJ and, and IKF in there, uh, moving runners, you know, we're getting more action on the base path. Like, I absolutely love it. And I think that's one of the big differences. The power, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, didn't go away. The power is yeah. still here and the power will be here. And as as the weather gets warmer, we're going to see it even, even yeah. uh, rear its head even more, I think. But the difference being healthy DJ LeMayhew biggest biggest difference bat to ball guy and can produce in a run which boone is very clearly likes him in that five spot so that he can be in a run producing situation um, and make that contact and then ikf you're adding another guy in there who in theory i know we've been sandwiched uh uh, two really bad slumps with with a really good piece with him which is surprising to me but you know, he's another bat to ball guy. He's a guy that hits for average, a guy that gets on base a lot um, and and can run the base as well. So when you look at those, the makeup of that, you know, that inferior, your, the, these guys are table setters, but they can also make contact and have good at bats uh, with runners on base. And that is such a difference. from what we had last year,
2: I think one of the things I'm, as, as we're talking, I'm thinking about how this lineup, you know, listen, DJ LeMay batting leadoff is my favorite spot in the lineup for him. Uh, and the most productive, but now I'm starting to think about how it plays out, whether it's DJ LeMahieu leading off versus batting in that five spot and Aaron Hicks leading off. And I think a lot of it comes back to you know, what you're getting really offensively from the eight, nine spots in the batting order. And whether that's some combination of Gallo, Connor Falefa, and a catcher, it's not adding up to a lot. So are you better off batting LeMahieu in the one spot when he's not coming up with run scoring opportunities because the bottom of the order isn't getting on enough Or are you better off putting Aaron Hicks, a guy who takes walks and is one of the top 10 on base guys in the top spot, and then letting LeMahieu bat in the middle of the order where he's going to get some more run scoring, run producing opportunities. Um, And you can always change that. If the bottom of the order starts doing something different, it makes LeMahieu in the leadoff spot a little bit uh, more, uh, a little bit different um, uh, run producer than I think. You know, it's really just I'm thinking about now out loud as we're talking about it. I think that's probably the biggest reason why you have to move DJ LeMahieu out of the leadoff spot is because you need more on base at the top in a guy like Hicks because the eight, nine spots aren't doing enough offensively right now.
1: When you look at the leadoff spot and you isolate Hicks and LeMahieu for just, just call that a competition between where they are, you look at them in the leadoff spot. And you get a lot of similar things. Like you mentioned, Hicks has a high on base percentage, works the count, does, sets the table for the guys behind him, you know, in the first inning, does a lot of the things that you want from a leadoff hitter. But when you put them, so you could go either way there, I think. Yeah. But when you go to that five spot, significant difference. Hicks has been terrible with runners in scoring position. Yeah. He's just, he doesn't have that same uh, approach, attack approach that LeMay, can, can shift, you know, on a, on a whim and really very
2: aggressive. LeMay can get, can get super aggressive and, and in a good way, you know, yeah. like he's going to hunt pitches early yep. and it it uh, well, you're right with men on base that can make a very big difference and you know we haven't seen a lot of it's been the injury and you know you're talking about a month now after missing an entire season so we haven't seen Hicks really do a whole lot with one of those hot streaks because it's been a while right you know you're talking about missing a lot of time and on all that stuff uh there's going to come a spot where you know he's he's you know where the on base is obviously helping. There's gonna come a spot where where that power is gonna get unlocked a little bit, but uh you know, him and Donaldson hasn't really gotten hot yet. So you've got a lot of players who are everyday players. You know, Gallo, Hicks, Donaldson. Um, you're talking about, you know, the catchers, you're talking about a lot of guys who haven't really put up big offensive numbers, yet the Yankees are doing enough to win because the other facets of their game are really coming in. And power plays with Judge and Rizzo, especially the start they're off to start there off too.
1: No doubt about it. Um, so we we talked about you mentioned the uh you know guys getting more expensive and and having to make decisions. Uh Gary Sanchez, clearly one of those decisions that happened um in in the offseason. Uh wanted to get some some thoughts here. We have uh obviously last year we saw with Garrett Cole dependency uh of of having Higgy catch him and, and Sanchez caught him opening day, but didn't didn't uh didn't see that throughout the season. Is the, and this year, you know, once once he had a good start. With uh, Trevino, everybody's looking. Is this is this <laughs> yeah. going to be the thing now? Yeah. Is Garrett Cole just like obsessed with the backup uh, catcher? And I have uh, you know a different theory in in the sense that it was more of a Gary Sanchez problem than it was uh, you know a, a situation with who the who the catcher is. And and that's why Higgy was that. Are you do you do you get that sense as well from last year when when Garrett Cole was he just not getting the things that he needed uh, out of you know that battery uh, that the continuity in that battery because. When I see Trevino, a guy who's defensive catcher who you know prioritizes the relationship and framing and all of the things with the pitcher, it's the kind of guy that I, I think Garrett Cole wants. He wants someone who's as committed in the foxhole to that to that art of pitching and less
2: concerned about other things. Was that a factor here? I think. I think. You know, Cole's got two catchers here that he can rely on right now. The thing that the Yankees spent a lot of time and effort with Gary Sanchez because you saw the type of offensive potential he had behind the plate. And if you look at what the Yankees have done, really, you know, look at their catchers over the last 25 years. You know, they love offensive catchers because it's a rarity. You, know, you can go back to Mike Stanley before yeah. or Posada and then you'll know, run through, you know, Russell Martin and uh, Brian McCann and Gary Sanchez. And, you know, you basically got 25 years covered of guys who give the Yankees power behind the plate that other teams don't get quite as often. So there was, that was the idea of trying to keep committing to Gary Sanchez and get him to improve on both sides. And while the offense dipped the Defense didn't improve, so now you've got two areas that are deficient, and that's why you finally, a year away from free agency, you knew you had to make this decision. I, I think I understood why the Yankees kept at it, because you had a rare combination back there that if it clicked – you were in business like no other team and you had to give yourself a little runway to let it happen. Now, I understand that it took a little bit longer and when it wasn't working for a long period of time, did they stick with it a little too long? Maybe. Um, but I think as you got closer to his free agency, you understood that this was not a player who fit into the Yankees long-term plans anymore. And so now it was time to act on it if you could, because you didn't really know what was out there. Now, um, Again, the idea of getting lesser offense from that position is okay right now because of what you're getting from other places and that they are not underperforming in other places. They're getting enough offense. Uh, the defense is a big component, and I think that there was always this idea that if Gary Sanchez can improve even you know 10% defensively, it would make a big improvement overall to his game and offensively he was going to bring you something that you weren't getting other places. Unfortunately it just it snowballed on Gary Sanchez and it became a lot and you could tell you know to his credit he never complained about it. He had um, I don't think he had uh, the same catching coach more than two years in a row the entire time he was here uh, you're talking about how uh, how much more complicated game planning became in an analytic age and trying to and then trying to work a pitching staff that got bigger that threw nastier stuff and you were trying to work through six different pitchers every night and it just be, from the time he broke in to the time to now everything about it got more complicated and while all that was happening his offense regressed so it it clearly wore on him and the yankees finally found themselves in a position where they could, through catching depth, try to try to uh, make it a better defensive fit for whether it was for Cole or any of the other pitchers. They made that their priority and, and just kind of took the Band-Aid off because they tried a long time with Gary Sanchez. I went through all the reasons why they tried, um, and it just didn't work
1: potential is a hard thing to pass up at the end of the day right we've seen him since he was 16 years old the you know we, we've known gary sanchez it seems like for our entire lives and certainly for most of his life but the potential was always there and especially the way he came up in uh 16 you know having that babe ruth second half being being yeah. in the in the conversation for rookie of the year for only playing you know two months it was you know he, he lit the world on fire when he came up so that was a very difficult expectation to live up to i think beyond that and it just ate him up for whatever reason. It just, yeah. and, and one of those things just didn't work out. So, you know, I'm glad that they finally did the move. They, 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 they did the, I believe the right thing and prioritized the defense and the pitching staff, because I think a guy like Garrett Cole and probably the type of tone that he sets within the pitching room as well is they do expect a little bit more. He expects a little bit more. He's one of these obsessed perfectionist guys that if you're not on the same page with him, then there's a, that's a problem.
2: Well, I I think you see how everybody, whether it's Garrett Cole or Aaron judge, you see what kind of, what kind of mentality they have with count leverage, you know, the the fancy term, right? You're going to steal a strike somewhere. It makes a big difference between two, one and one, two, and whether you're standing in the batter's box or on the pitcher's mound, that's a huge difference. So you're seeing, you know, both sides want it, you know, want the same thing. And what, you know, whether it's Cole and the other pitchers or whether it's Judge and you know, and Stanton and the guys who have different strike zones, I think you're, you're seeing the exact same thing play out where, you know, yeah, they're prioritizing that. And listen, I I, I still believe the Yankees are probably, if you look at some of the catching prospects they have in the mind, Austin Wells is one of their top catching prospects, right? And his, his big thing is the bat, right? Brian
1: McCann 2.0.
2: Yeah, and and you're trying to think of the idea of okay, you know, at some point because this has just been the Yankees' history, they're going to look for more offense. And we listen, we saw spring training. with thought uh, Kyle Agashioka is going to provide that. Um, he's been off to a slow start. His strength is hitting against left hand pitching, so those are the areas where you're going to find him in games more often. Not necessarily matching up with Garrett Cole because now you have two options. To, to give to Garrett Cole, and both should be equally good defensively. So uh, I think you're, you're seeing a two-catcher model as opposed to a starting catcher and a backup catcher, and you kind of find the platoon advantages, the matchup advantages that will, will benefit your team that particular day.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Sweeney Nestor Cortez has been uh, just a, a tremendous bright spot for this team uh, through, through the beginning of the year. Obviously, I don't think a lot of people expected this. He was good. You look back at his starts for the second half of last year. The guy's been just a lot of fun to watch and a, an easy guy to root for. When did the Yankees change their mind on Nestor Cortez and and actually start looking at him? I know you've spoken to some scouts uh, about Nestor specifically, but where did that that switch change to saying, okay, he's a nice fringe starter, a guy that can come into no, he's a he's part of our rotation.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think Nestor deserves all that credit. Um, you know, he's the one who put in the work to get there. And I think you're talking about a guy who was drafted in the 36th round and, you know, released and rule Five and all that stuff. I mean, you know, this is, you know, it, it, every, everybody else saw the same thing, a pitcher that was just fringy, just like you're talking about. And it was, he's the one who, who really turned the switch on. And there was one, um, I, Tommy Phelps was one of the Yankees pitching coordinators who is now in the Marlins organization surprise. Um, he's one of the guys who was a believer in Nestor, but until Nestor Cortez really started throwing a little bit harder and using the cutter a little bit more effectively, um, and throwing that pitch harder to make it more effective. That's, that's really what happened there. And that's a lot of people just you know, kind of pushing him in the right direction and and him believing in it him him just moving. And you know, he's not one of these guys who's flipping these soft curve balls up there. I mean, he's a, you know, he throws, he throws well. He's a good pitcher, but he's not throwing 98, 99, but he's still throwing, you know, 90 plus and he's cutting the ball and making it effective and he spots really well. He's aggressive. Uh, he's not comfortable, uh, you know, to face. So uh, I, I think he deserves, Uh, 99% of the credit for making himself into a guy that is in the Yankee rotation and that the Yankees, you know, want to keep in the rotation. Uh, From what you you referenced, uh, a conversation that I mentioned the other uh, other day that, you know, I asked the scout, like, where he, where Cortez fits in a Yankee rotation when you're talking about playoff rotations that teams mostly want to design around power. And, uh, you know, the scout told me that, Cortez is the kind of guy that could disrupt lineups enough where you, you know, you could put him in between power guys like Cole and Severino and do very well uh, mixing it up in in a three game spot like that. You know, again, I, I think we're a long way away from that. You know, game, you know, game one of the playoffs in the World Series isn't tomorrow. So you kind of have to see how the season plays out with Cortez specifically and see how he holds up under stamina. You know, what's his stuff look like in September compared to April and May. Um, And that goes for everybody too. But with a guy like him, you just want to see like, how's he going to get through this season? What's it going to look like? And, and how does it match up? You know, you saw the Yankees kind of maneuver around pitching Cortez against the Blue Jays again, because of their, how heavy right-handed they are. So they avoided him that spot. That's the kind of thing you look for in a postseason two. Like what's the right matchup for him? Um, so I think you're gonna end up um, kind of just seeing how he plays out at the end of the year, and he, he if it looks a lot like this, You shouldn't be afraid to throw him in a big spot because remember, again, you're talking about needing four to five innings before you start rolling out Clay Holmes, Jonathan LeWise, Michael King and everybody else and get yourself through a game like that. And especially if you get, you know, seven plus out of Cole the night before, it sets you up in that kind of position. So a lot of different factors there that go into what Cortez could look like for the Yankees in a postseason spot.
1: Yeah. Interesting perspective from a player too. Andrew McCutcheon tweeted out after Nestor's last, uh, you know, start where he was flirting with the no, no, uh, that, that his fastball plays differently too. 91 to 94 plays much, much harder than that at the batter. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's really, you attribute that to the different arm angles, the way that he, you know, his yeah. mechanics are out there. His, his, uh, the, he, deception the deception involved. Yeah. And it's exactly. hard to pick
2: up the ball. And yeah. that's, you know, um, I think, you know, you're probably, I don't know, you're probably too young for this, but um,
1: you might be surprised.
2: I'm running into this all the time now. I'm just getting too old. Um, Sid Fernandez threw probably harder than Nestor Cortez does. I don't know what, you know, how hard Sid threw in the 80s when he was the Mets, but he had this little funky delivery where, yeah. you know, he, he hid the ball well and he kind of shot the ball through a spot that was hard to pick up until it was right on you, especially for left-handers. And I, I hesitate to think that, that Nestor throws as hard as Fernandez did, but I think there's at least a little similarity in the way that they sling the ball up there, that it's hard for batters to pick up.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting comp. I think Sid was a bigger, his lower half. I remember was just, a, yeah. he, was a, he was a heft, he was a, he was a healthy guy. Um, yeah. You know, when, when, not to compare not to compare careers or, or achievements, but like looking stylistically, yeah. I, I look back at one of the guys that I think is the most fun to watch uh, in in my baseball watching career is El Duque. And you look at El yeah. Duque and the amount of different arm angles and, you know, yeah. he wasn't the hardest thrower, but he had deception. He knew he, he knew how to pitch. He could dot a fastball. He could dot an off speed pitch. I, I, that's that's the type of guy that Cortez is really um, turning into it. So if he could have some postseason success like El Duque, then we got something I, great. Here. I
2: think you, you know, yeah, it's a high bar. So we'll see if he gets there. I think the idea is also like when you, you see the confidence, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's all all about confidence. You've seen him a couple of times. As soon as he releases the ball, he's, he's not waiting for the umpire to ring him up. Like he knows that ball is going exactly where he wants it to go, and um, and and he's getting a strike out of it. So it's it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch a confident pitcher like that.
1: No doubt about it. All right, Sweeney, thanks so much for coming on here. We battled through some technology issues too <laughs> that we'll talk about at another time. All Maybe right. we all have to drink a couple of beers for this one, but uh do appreciate your time here. Guys, if you're not following Sweeney on Twitter, go to at Yankees W F A N uh and give him a follow. He's uh, you know, one of the best insiders been doing it for a long time. Sweeney, so really, really do appreciate your time and all the insight that you have.
2: Scott, this is like a pitcher who, you know, gave up a couple of hits, gave up a couple of home runs, maybe walked a few, but somehow managed to get through six innings and only have three runs allowed. You know, quality start, take it, battle. You, uh, you know, yeah, you battled today. So thanks for, thanks for getting us through it.
1: Grit, grit. That's what, this team is built on grit. That's what the podcast, we're built on grit. I love it. Thanks, Winnie. Take care. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show.